Uh, we will have a word of prayer. Um, I, 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 you know, I'm really happy that we're able to get back to passing the offering plates for the offering for this reason, because otherwise, I always forget to pray for it. And so our main goal is not that you have to give in the plate, because we still have the boxes, we still have online, um, but it is so that we have that moment when we're taking it up and involving our deacons and helping us uh, lift the offering, as they say, uh, that we can really praise the Lord for what he's given us, regardless of how you give it. And uh, so I'm happy that we're able to do that again. Um, let's uh, go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll get uh, started here in the book of Daniel. Father, I thank you today that we can come before you, Lord. We can surrender our lives. We want to surrender our lives to make the Spirit match the Scriptures so that our lives can become a living testimony, especially to those who are lost. And God, give us, give us grace to get out the gospel. Give us a willingness today to see how close the end of the time is. And Lord, how involved we need to be and all that we need to do for you. So Lord, speak to us through Daniel, your prophets. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And if you have your Bible, do go to Daniel chapter 8. You know, I might mention this. Uh, uh, Brian had talked about the announcement with our Bible Institute, Living Faith Bible Institute. Uh, there are numbers of classes. Uh, let me just say this. You're still not too late. Thank you so much. You're still not too late on uh, getting in on that because we give actually two weeks, up to two weeks in, you can sign up. So this will be the second. So last Saturday was the first one. This will be the second one. <clears throat> now, I know that in the class that I'm teaching, which is a survey of theology, we have at least 24 students, I think, uh, totally in another church in another state. But here at Harvest, I had one person, one person here, and then we live stream it to Midtown. There's a lot of competition out there, so there's several other classes going on. Some of them more important for the people we have here, like the one on children's ministry that's going on, children and youth and stuff like that. But just to let you know, in case you were interested at all, and I don't care if you've signed up or not, I don't care if you're taking it for credit or not, all it is is Bible. And so my philosophy is, feel free to come out. So this Saturday, 11.30, 11.30 to 1, and the topic we're going to be looking at is the Bible. So probably the most controversial stance that we take as a church is with regard to biblical authority. If you have any questions about that, this is a one-shot thing, hour and a half. Uh, you can, if you like it, you can keep coming out. On, on, so, I, so we call it systematic theology, but really what it is is I'm teaching theology according to our discipleship lessons, so that when you disciple someone, you're teaching them the tip of the iceberg. So the tip of the iceberg is in that lesson, and then you have the background in case you are trying to disciple someone from a, um, you know, from a cult background or or uh, other religion background, or other denomination background, you have all that you need. So I'll just invite you out to that, and uh, be happy for you to come. Uh, we started this series on Daniel, going through one chapter at a time, and I told you that it would give you a roadmap to the coming kingdom. This also ends up becoming your complete handbook. I mean, really, Daniel, it's a complete handbook on Bible prophecy. And today I'm going to start us out with Two premises, two foundational truths. 
Because what Daniel says to you today in chapter 8 will blow you away. But I think this ought to blow you away just as much. The two premises, the premise of all prophecy. Number one, prophecy lays down a grid for history to follow. How many of you have a bachelor's degree or you took a college class uh, in any type of history, Western Civ or whatever, if you get a Bachelor of Arts, you're going to have to take some history class. A lot of times it's Western Civ. Even when I took church history, they talked at the, at the beginning of the course, they talked about a philosophy of history and, uh, you know, how the, uh, how the uh, Hindus view it. And it's cyclical and just, you know, resets and keeps going over and over again for infinity and how the Greeks view it and how other people view it. Well, we're going to give you a complete philosophy, a biblical philosophy of history because the bible lays down a grid for history to follow number two god uses his people strategically within that matrix and so that means you cannot change the way things are going you're not gonna be able to change the things the way things are going culturally or socially or politically particularly politically globally but you can respond from a position of faith and you can give people in life the light that comes from God's word. So you can't change things or institutions, but you can change every individual God brings you in contact with if you are living the word of God right. If you understand and you are functioning in that matrix that prophecy is going to describe for you today. So you can respond from that position of faith. And it's so counter to our culture. It is socially incorrect. A lot of times we talk about bullying in our schools, but you know what? You need to have a little sit down side conversation with your kids to help them understand that, you know, if you're going to live like a real Christian in your school setting, like I live like a Christian in my work setting, you're going to face persecution. That's not bullying, that's persecution. And you'll face it for those reasons. Uh, Because our thesis today is this. When you get saved, you begin to see how you're on this planet for a purpose in eternity. And the thing that proves that is what we're going to see in Bible prophecy. It is what you see in Bible prophecy. So there is a reason why you are alive right now and we're not alive 100 years ago or a thousand years ago, or two thousand years ago. God is placing your soul strategically to prepare you for eternity, which is the purpose of all prophecy. Okay, if you're taking notes or you're writing down statements, you ought to write this down. The purpose of all prophecy is to get you to prepare. It's not to satisfy your curiosity. It's not just to let you know what's going to happen in the future. It is to get you to prepare right now. So prophecy is a grid. And the chart that we gave you last time in chapter 7 does not just cover ancient history. It covers all of history. And it does that when you understand how God has drawn a roadmap for time. When history moves a long time... It does not just set out willy-nilly across the field heading to the store for diapers and hot tamales. History doesn't do that. When mankind moves, it always follows a road, and those those roads were planned and were built by God. 
And that is the infallible biblical philosophy of history. So the Bible contains prophecy because God's goal is to reveal and not to conceal what his purpose for eternity is for you. And so if you'll just let us clarify your view of prophecy, then you will have a very clear picture of what God wants you to do, what he wants to do through your life right now. Because here's our first point for study. God is in control of the lives of those who yield to him, whatever else may happen. It doesn't matter who the cabal is, doesn't matter what they plan, doesn't matter what the globalists want, doesn't matter what either party wants, none of that matters, whatever else may happen. God is in control of the lives of those who yield to him. So what What I want to produce as a result of our time with the prophet Daniel is a body of people who will become world shapers and not world shaped. And I've told you, and I will continue to say, that we are the only hope that our society has. God made America great through Judeo-Christian principles. But he didn't do that because we are something special. He didn't do that because we're something on a stick that you can't shake off. God did that because his goal was to get his word in English to the, to the entire planet. When, you know, now that God's used us like he wanted, and that is out there for them, uh, we've kind of moved away from those values on which our nation was founded And our schools and our social media, they're all propagating really a new Roman paganism for the masses. And that happens from uh, the Supreme Court on down. And so they are uh, inciting dysphoria among our kids. It condemns them to a psychological inner sense of unease and dissatisfaction. And all that confusion leads to distress and impairment because of the incongruence, because of the uh, cognitive dissonance between what they desire and how they were born, between what they desire and waking reality. So what we do for kids and what we do with your kids is the only ballast, the only foundational stability that they will have. So the question from the pulpit today is who is going to yield their life to the submission of God so that they can in turn affect all the areas, all the arenas around them and all the individuals that God wants them to reach? Because the Holy Spirit answers to the word and the word of God will do the work in the life of anyone who is applying it. And while we cannot change everything, Jesus will do that when he comes back. That's for Jesus to do when he brings in the kingdom. But we are called to save those that we can save while we can. Now look at it on your handout. The the little book of Jude, it's like a postcard epistle. There's not even multiple chapters, just one. And in verses 20 to 23, Jude said, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Why? Because that's going to keep yourself in the love of God and looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, make a difference in their lives because of love. And others, 
you know what? They're not even in a position where you can do that. The best you can do is save them with fear by pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Oh, really? That's our mandate. That's the expression of our vision for 2023. Because if you can do that, then your kids can see how to live. And pretty soon we end up changing not just your kids, but the neighbor's kids. And not just yours and the neighbor's kids, but the neighbors. And not just the neighbors, but other people in the community and people you work with or go to school with. And the, in the corporation, the, the campus and the urban core. And we can steal people. Jude says we can steal people out of Satan's family from the inside out. And then we can make them servant soldiers of the Savior if we really extract from Daniel everything he's got for us here. So begin with me in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, that was the Belshazzar of Babylon, who was its last king, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me, Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And the first vision was the one we saw last time in Daniel chapter 7. If you uh, take notes in your Bible, you might just put at the top of this chapter that two years pass. Between chapter 7, chapter 8, two years pass. The uh, vision of chapter 7, it was a prequel relating to the four kingdoms that would occur after the Babylonians, after Belshazzar. Uh, chapter 7, verse 17 tells you that. And they prefigure the three remaining superpowers we have today, plus the final one on the horizon. So this vision, likewise, deals with two kingdoms that come up after Belshazzar. You, you see that in verses 20 and 21. So God lays out a pathway, not just for ancient history, but for all of Gentile history in chapter 7. The th all three beasts in that chapter have converged in space-time right now. But in chapter 8, we witness a clash of civilizations, Muslim and Western European. So the stage is now set with all the props and actors, and chapter 8 introduces us to the prototype of the Antichrist. At verse 1, I need to let you know that the, the language of Daniel... Okay, Daniel, shortly after the book started, it began being written in Chaldean, the Gentile language of the Babylonians. Because God is telling the Gentiles exactly, you know, they're the, they, they conquered the kingdom of heaven. They, over, they uh, overtook Judea and Jerusalem. They destroyed his temple. So he lets them know, here's why I let you do that. Here's how long it's going to last. Now in chapter 8, verse 1, it refers, it returns back to Hebrew, the language of the Jews, because this is a warning to them. Watch, verse 2. And I saw in a vision, it came to pass when I saw that I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam, and I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Uli. Now wait, Shushan was 230 miles east of where Daniel physically was in Babylon and 120 miles north of the Persian Gulf. And the river Uli was a hand-dug canal that connected two major rivers that were flowing through that capital. And so now Daniel receives a vision about how this tiny and insignificant city is going to emerge as the next planetary guardian. Who would have thunk it? At this, this little spot in a marshy area between rivers was now going to be the next ruling empire of the world. But that shouldn't surprise us. 
All we have to do is study the difference between the Tiber and the Potomac. Who would have thunk it? That that marshy area on the Tiber River in Italy, that all of a sudden Rome would become the ruling empire of the world? And who would have thunk it? I mean, who would have thought this would have happened, that that marshy area on the Potomac that nobody thought anything of 200 years ago and now becomes, in some respects, the sole remaining superpower? I mean, it's just a crazy thing, and, uh, but that's what, the, that's what God is giving Daniel, and, and so he receives this vision, and instead of four beasts, Daniel sees two animals. Verse 3. And then I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing uh, westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him, neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. So two horns, because this is a pan-Islamic confederation of both Sunni and Shia. So Sunni Muslims and Shiites, the Medes and the Persians, today we say the Iraqis and the Iranians. So if you've got a two-horned ram, and, and then now, after that two-horned ram, a unicorn shows up. Well, I mean, not exactly. A unicorn is a, horn, is a horse with a horn, but this is a one-horned goat in verse 5. And as I was considering, behold, an he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground, and, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So now in chapter 8, the animals themselves are the empires, and these horns are individual kings. Historically, the smaller horn on the ram came up first, Darius the Mede. We saw that in Daniel 6. The second higher horn was Cyrus the Persian. God delivered world dominion after the Babylons over to Medo-Persia in the east. Now, when he was done, he raised up a goat in Greece and his notable horn was its first king, Alexander the Great. Look at verse 6. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran into him in the fury of his power. I mean, even today, what do you call the greatest of all time? He's the goat. I mean, that's the goat. Alexander named his son Agus, which means son of a goat. He's moving so fast, and he's like he's in a land speeder, you know? He's like Luke. Luke Skywalker in the land speeder, and in under three years, he not only conquers the Persians, he makes it all the way to India. Verse 7, and I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with choler against him. Uh, That's the same word, uh, same idea, fury, that we saw back in verse 6, and smote the ram and brake his two horns. There was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Alexander was told by his mother that his father had descended from Hercules. That means Alexander the Great grew up a little Hercules, Hercules, Hercules. I mean, he was ready to conquer the world as soon as he was born. His teacher was Aristotle. Aristotle told him, look, Alexander, you can rule the world, but only if you can get all the people to accept the Greek language and the Greek lifestyle. Now, the way that your teacher will tell you is they wanted them, they wanted them to establish 
Greek culture and become Hellenized. And culture makes it sound like it was good. You know, culture makes it sound like it was highfalutin. No, it's just kind of the Greek lifestyle, which uh, really ain't all that in a bag of chips. So that became uh, Alexander's mission in life. And 13 years later, he's in the city of Babylon, having conquered the entire ancient world like lightning. He never lost a battle. No one could stand in his way, verse 8. Therefore, the he-goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. So in 323 BC, at age 33, Alexander gets a a, a fever from malaria, and he goes on a drinking binge uh, to solve it, and he dies in an alcoholic stupor. And when that mighty horn was broken, four of his generals carve up the empire in order to complete Alexander's vision. Cassander took the hood. Macedonia and Greece. Lysimachus took Thrace and parts of Asia Minor. Ptolemy took Egypt and the rest of Asia Minor. And Seleucus took Syria, Israel, and Mesopotamia. And Greek did become the language of the whole world. If you wanted to be in the economy, the language of commerce was Greek. The entire world was Hellenized or made to conform to Greek lifestyle. Uh, Let me put it this way. Uh, Anywhere you went... There was Diet Coke and a McDonald's, anywhere you went. So Daniel is seeing events that are 230 years ahead of time, uh, but this is not just a prophecy about the history of Western civilization. Daniel is showing you what God is going to do after the rapture of the church and how America is going to be bypassed. I mean, a lot of people ask, well, what about America and Bible prophecy? Okay, it's right here. Because the final dominant Gentile world powers are going to be a uniting of the Catholics and Eastern Orthodox in the West and a uniting of the two wings of Islam, Sunni and Shia in the East. So this grid shows us the path that the future will follow. Verse 9 introduces one of the generals who comes up in one of those four sections and who functions as the prototype of the Antichrist. So if you want to read the future of this man, the Antichrist, just look in the next few verses. Verse 9, and out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great. So this little horn is the same little big horn that we see in chapter 7, verse 8. And that gets us back to the multivalence of Scripture. I mean, since the author of the Bible is the God who is I am that I am. I mean, that God. That God who appeared to Moses. Then the Bible is simultaneously past, present, and future all at once, just like God is. And, and we're only just now catching up to this with our views on the multiverse and things within quantum mechanics. But multivalence means the Bible has multiple simultaneous applications. So Bible prophecy can have a near and a far historical application. The lion, the bear, and the leopard of chapter 7 were fulfilled by Persia, Greece, and Rome. But then God is going to reprise that theme Because the Antichrist did not show up after those empires. And so instead, they are now fulfilled 
by England, Russia, and America. And the final fulfillment of this chapter gives us the literal fulfillment of this prophecy in the coming Antichrist. Verse 9, which waxed exceeding great toward the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. He pushes south, which is Egypt. He conquers east into Armenia. Then he heads toward the pleasant land, which is Palestine. Verse 10, and it waxed great, even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host, the host of heaven, and of the stars to the ground, and stamped upon them. Now that's not Antiochus Epiphanes, like a lot of the commentaries will tell you. This was not the Roman general Titus, like a lot of the commentaries will tell you. Only the Antichrist can complete this verse in every sense because he is Satan incarnate. And verse 10 confirms what John says in Revelation, that one third of the principalities and powers of Ephesians 6 verse 12 are going to be drawn out of heaven by the tail of the dragon... Revelation 12, verses 2 to 4. And this is how the ultimate enemy emerges. We gave you a chart that compares Daniel 8 and the book of Revelation. I mean, didn't Yoda tell you they always come in twos, these dark Sith lords? I mean, we thought he was wiped out two millennia ago, at least. Well, now now we're just waiting for the last shoe to drop, and drop it does in verse 11. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. He's the prince of the host of heaven in verse 10, and he's called the prince of princes in verse 25, and that's Jesus. Revelation 17, Revelation 19. He's captain of the Lord's host, Joshua chapter 5. So Satan snags a third of the heavenly host in an attempted kingdom coup, Verse 11, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. So it is apparent that after the rapture of the church, which is something Daniel did not see because it did not involve him, it did not involve his people, it did not involve their covenants. So he didn't see that. But after we are gone and the body of Christ is complete and taken out and born again people, the sons of God are are taken out, then Moses' law is going to be back in effect, Malachi 4, verse 4. Now, we'll see why next time in in chapter 9. But temple sacrifices will be reinstated just like in the Old Testament. And when the Antichrist takes away the daily sacrifice, which he allows by the treaty of the next chapter, then he will put something in its place that's called the abomination of desolation in Daniel 11, 31, and... Jesus referred to it in Matthew 24, verse 15. And that abomination of desolation is a living image of himself. 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, Revelation 13, 15. And that is so abominable to God that it makes the temple desolate of any believing Jews. He elevates himself up to be God and be equally God. I mean, after all, verse 12 says, and an host was given him against the daily sacrifice by reason of of transgression. So there will be a rebuilt temple in Israel, Revelation 11, verses one and two. Now, just as a side note, this is why you need to go with us over Thanksgiving this year and uh, you need to go with us to Israel this year. I would just tell your family that uh, that's what you want for Christmas. 
And uh, we're still working on getting, there's a bidding war for tickets. I mean, I think, it, I think uh, last time, right, we went right before COVID in 2019 and took 86 people. We can only get, uh, we thought we can only get 33 tickets. Now it's up to 45, maybe. We will know in the next two or three days, do we have these, this block of 45 tickets? And, uh, you know, I, I think it cost us last time maybe $3,500. Looks like it'll be uh, about 3700 now. I mean, if we can get it in for under four grand, it's a real bargain. Uh, anybody else you go with, it's going to be at least six. Uh, and if it's some of the major celebrities like me that you go with... It'll be seven to ten, but um, so this this will be the cheapest you'll be able to go before the rapture, and we will take you to the Temple Mount, and we will go underneath the temple, the western wall, and we will sh- go walk through the tunnels, and we will take you to the Temple Mount Institute, and you will see the golden menorah, and you'll see the tables of showbread, and the scale reconstructions of the altars, and the actual clothing of the priests, and everything that is already ready for the Antichrist to make a treaty between Eastern Muslims and Western Europeans that allows a temple with sacrifices. Verse 12, and it, his host from heaven, the the third of the stars he drug down, cast down the truth to the ground. And it, his host, practiced and prospered. Now the thing that marks our times right now, now in the last days of the church age, is a hatred of the truth. I mean, even when it's as clear as waking reality, I mean, even when it's as clear as the nose on your face, even when it's as plain as the body parts that you have, and that is what will allow the devil through the Antichrist to take ultimate control, is casting down the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 8 to 10. Verse 13, Then I heard one saint speaking to another saint, and said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily sacrifice? See, Daniel doesn't even know what to ask. So other people are asking the questions for him. And how long the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? How long will something be so abominable going on that the temple is desolate for every believing Jew? Verse 14, and he said unto me, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. So I think that this is the ultimate time stamp having to do with those daily offerings. So the daily sacrifice, which the Antichrist will initially allow, consisted of two lambs of one year of age. One was offered in the morning, the other in the evening, Exodus 29, Hebrews 10. The coming seven-year tribulation has two segments of 42 months of an even 30 days each month, or 1,260 days each segment. So I think what Daniel's telling us is the Antichrist certainly is in control for the last 1,260 days, last half of the tribulation. But this desolation of the sanctuary starts occurring 220 days into the first half. And it goes to the end of the seven years, or maybe, maybe after the covenant of Daniel 9.27 is signed, it takes about seven months to get the sacrifices going, and then the whole thing's compromised from the beginning. Verse 15, and it came to pass, when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning, then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man 
So angels having wings is a popular misconception. I mean, there are some angelic beings that have wings like cherubim and seraphim, but they're all located strictly in in the heavenly temple. Uh, So they have wings, but angels that appear to humans always look like human men. Verse 16, and I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Because God always has the last word whenever we reach the living end. So, 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 since Gabriel is the archangel that is associated with Israel and with the kingdom of heaven, Gabriel delivers the message, verse 17. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. I said, you know, so Daniel's like, man, I could have thought I was dreaming, but no, he woke me up and he said, behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation for at the time appointed the end shall be. So the time of the end and the last end is the end. Okay, it it, it means it's the end of Gentile world dominion. It is the end of Satan's world dominion as the God of this age. It is when Jesus returns at the second advent and he sets up the kingdom of heaven. So the interpretation does not just apply to Greece and Greece versus Persia. No, this is a setup. We are living in a prequel and this is the roadmap to the coming Antichrist. Now watch, verse 20, the ram which thou sawest, having two horns, are the kings of Media and Persia, and the rough goat is the king of Grisha, and the great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. Now, now that horn, that king being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. And in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, Paul says Israel is blinded to the gospel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes into the church, Romans 11, verses 25 and 26. But after we are removed at the rapture, then, verse 23, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. It will seem like he is able to solve all the world's problems and bring peace because that is what every Miss America wants, world peace. But that peace and security comes at the price of liberty for the Jews. Verse 24, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power, and he shall destroy wonderfully. In other words, when he is out to destroy the Jews or destroy anyone who will not take his mark, everybody else will think that's wonderful. And he shall prosper in practice and shall destroy the mighty and the holy temple, the holy people. So the Antichrist gets his power from Satan because the devil is out to destroy the Jews. And that should not, I mean, this whole scenario shouldn't surprise us. We've already seen it happen before because Nazi ideology followed the latest scientific sociology of our day. It is called evolution. And Rudolf Hess, the deputy party leader, stated it very matter-of-factly, said National Socialism is nothing but applied biology. Euthanasia is applied biology. Uh, A lot of other things you could reason from this. 
And uh, trust me, after the Christians, the true believers, those who are born again, after we're gone, they will reason exactly this way. So Hitler's Nazi party number was 55. That's just because he was a dress rehearsal for 666, who is next. Because verse 25 says, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand. Policy is the course of action which is adopted by a government. So the little bighorn is ruler in a new trilateral commission, a a unified American, European, Middle Eastern government. He will cause craft to prosper. Now, whatever commentary you read, they'll either define craft from what they think it is or from what the Hebrew might have said uh, or from the way somebody else defined it before him. And uh, I do, we don't define the Bible that way. So I ought to, you know, keep coming, get disciple, take D2, get involved in LFBI, because I'm going to define that word craft for you from the Bible itself. Because craftsmen in the Bible are the ones who construct the idol images for worship. Deuteronomy 27, 25. So the policy which causes craft to prosper is worshiping the Antichrist through his image exactly like Revelation 13, verses 14 and 15 tell you. And all of this, verse 25, is to magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. So even though he says peace and safety, I'm doing this for your peace and safety. This is why we got to get these people out of here. There is no peace, Jeremiah 6, 14, 1 Thessalonians 5, 3, because all of that time he'll be planning for war, Psalm 55, 21, which will occur at the end called the Battle of Armageddon. Verse 25, he shall also stand up against the prince of princes. That's what he does at the Battle of Armageddon. But he shall be broken without hand, Because Jesus, when he comes back, he's he's sending a sword out of his mouth. He's not even going to have to use his hand. He's using the word of his mouth to destroy the Antichrist. So this is his defeat at the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation 19, verses 11 to 16 and 19 to 20. Verse 26, and the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision... For it shall be for many days. It goes way beyond the intertestamental period between time between the Old and the New Testament. It goes all the way down to our days today and the time of the end is right now. Verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted. I was sick certain days. Afterwards, I rose up. Now watch, you need to take a lesson from Daniel. Um, It is not your job to try and figure out who the Antichrist is and assassinate him in advance. That's That's just not your job. I mean, there are a lot of things. There's a lot of positions that our government takes and others. And, you know, Paul states it very clearly in Romans chapter 13 about being in submission to the powers that be because they are ordained of God. So, okay, Daniel, after I, you know, I was sick for a while, this made me physically sick. And then, but after I, afterward, I rose up and did the king's business. And I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. So even though the angel explains it, Daniel does not have the, yet have the book of Revelation. And because uh, Holy Spirit hasn't given that much light yet, so he wasn't able to understand it. And if you are not astonished today, you should be. 
because this is our final point for study. There is no prophecy that yet remains to be fulfilled before the rapture of the church. So what do you do now? You need to do what the Thessalonians did, 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 9 and 10. Paul says, how ye turned to God from idols. All of the rest of that is idols. You may think, oh, you don't worship idols today. No, everything you worship besides God, that is an idol. Oh, yes, we have idols. People become our idols. The stars become our idols. The influencers become our idols. Things become our idols. Something we want becomes our idol. A thing we drive becomes our idol. A place we live becomes our idol. The knowledge we have becomes our idol. Lots of things become our idols. Turn from idols. Turn to God first because he will give you the power to turn from the idols you cannot currently turn away from. And then you'll be able to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come and delivers us at the rapture of the church. So be rapture ready. Let's try and take as many people with us as we can before the man of sin, the Antichrist, blows up here on the scene. Uh, Let's try and take, will you do that with me? Let's try and take as many people with us as we can. Uh, So I don't want to let you go today before... um, Um, I give you something that will personalize this passage. Let's personalize this passage for you. Number one, God uses the circumstances of this life to bring about his greater plan. God has a larger purpose for everything happening in politics, everything happening in globalism, everything happening in the world. God has a larger purpose for every circumstance of your life. You thought you made a mistake that you couldn't get over. No, God has a bigger plan. You thought you were treated unfairly. No, God has a bigger plan. I mean, you, you have all these unfulfilled desires. Well, no, God has a bigger plan. You struggled with gender dysphoria, but God has a bigger plan. You thought you were beaten and broken, but God has a bigger plan. You thought you had to give up. God has a bigger plan. Number two, learn to evaluate world events against the backdrop of world history as defined by Bible prophecy. It's the key. It gives you the answer. It shows you how we got here. It tells you where we're going. Have you yet plugged into his purpose for your soul in eternity? God had a larger purpose for Alexander the Great, and it gave us the language of the New Testament, a common language for all countries at that time. And God had a larger plan for America, because English is the common language of all countries for this time, and we have the certainty of the words of truth in our King James Bible, Proverbs 22, verses 20 and 21. And you will not find it said that way in any other version on the market. No other translation has those verses correct. And I don't think that's coincidence. God's put his stamp. God's let you know in advance exactly what he was all about, why we are who we are, how we got here, how we can stay here, where we're going to be going, what we need to have in our life right now, what we need to use in order to rescue our generation and give the truth to the generation following so they can rescue theirs. Number three, there's only one Antichrist, but there are a lot of Antichrist choices. 
I mean, First John, John says, tells you about this, First John 2.18, little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know it's the last time. How You say, Alan, I mean, wasn't he wrong about that? I mean, he wrote that back in the first century uh, AD, and surely he was wrong about it being the last time then, if you're saying that it's the last time now. No, what I'm saying is there have never been any signs of the times for the rapture. And there have been types and pictures of the Antichrist throughout history. From Charlemagne to Henry the Fowler to many other, Napoleon, Hitler. Okay, and every generation, every generation has had a right to expect a rapture within their lifetime. So there are plenty of people giving you a messianic hope that they are peddling, whether it's in politics, in religion, in self-help, in psychotherapy. But the time is short. Romans 13, 11, 1 Corinthians 7, 29. It is so short that Paul considered himself a possible participant in the rapture. So I always predict that the rapture is going to be this year. And I am never wrong. I'm just disappointed. So are you following Christ or the Antichrist? See, here's what God's Christ, Jesus, says about salvation. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Oh, but after the colon, you need to flip that script. Because he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, not eternal life, not everlasting life, not life after death, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Chapter 6, verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, Jesus says, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Have you believed in order to receive? Have you believed on Jesus in order to receive the everlasting life he promises you? Every head bowed, every eye closed, my time is up. I thank you for yours. God has a larger plan. Get in on it today. Things are too close. Too much is in place. I mean, the Iraqis and Iranians had a a war against each other back in the 80s. And in the 90s. And now it's like we're out of the way and they're kind of getting to be friends. I mean, it's going to be crazy once they figure out what they can do when they unite. Same way with the Catholic and the Orthodox Church. Same way with Western Europe. Once once we are taken out of the way, the Antichrist will be able to come in and co-opt everything that America's empire trust has set in place. Things are close. You, you, you need to get in with us now. You need to be with us pulling others in. Get ready so you will be ready. Get ready today so you'll be ready right now. And you know, the first step is this. All you got to do is pray. I mean, from your heart, just pray to God and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I want to trust Jesus today for the everlasting life that he's promising me. So God, 
I trust Jesus for everlasting life. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. I believe so that I can receive eternal life from you. Put me in Christ. Put the Holy Spirit in me. Make me born again starting today. The first day of my new birth. And if you pray that prayer and you've trusted Jesus for for eternal life today, come up and let us know. I want to give you my copy, copy of my book, Next Steps for New Believers. Sign up for discipleship. 